Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, Olive Branch. It's good to see you guys, and we are um, looking forward to October 31st as we talk about reaching out into our community. We actually have an opportunity for the Trunk or Treat, and maybe some of you guys have signed up for that and you've gotten engaged in that. Maybe some of you have not got the opportunity to do that on that evening because you're going to be busy, but just so you know, on that evening, we actually have a couple thousand people from the church and the neighborhood come through the property and come through that Trunk or Treat area, and it's kind of an exciting thing for us to kind of be able to connect with those people people, invite them to church, and kind of continue to build into their life. And so, but we're, we're, we're really looking for the oppor- for you guys to have an opportunity to help if you can't be there that night. And the way to do that is bring a, bring a bag of candy. You're going to see outside as a truck in our courtyard, and, and really you can just bring a bag of candy, toss it in the back of that truck next week. We want to fill up the whole bed, and really that enables you, whether you're a guest here for the first time or not, to have an opportunity to do something in some way, and uh, to bless some kids and bless some dentists in the neighborhood. So that's what we're really... We're really excited about. So now please join with us in that. But in other, in other cases, we're, we're working on this series called Unopposed. We're back in the book of Romans. We're talking about God and how God is the sovereign God. He, he's not running against anyone. He's unopposed as God. He is a lone God. There's no need for us to try to be God on top of that. And, and in that sovereignty, in that connection, we learned a lot last week about his faithfulness and how he is faithful to us because he's wanted us in, his, in a relationship with him. And so as we're kind of diving into that, what was fun was we got, um, we, we're looking this week into this kind of more political look. And a lot of politics are started, a lot of politics are going on out there, and there's a lot of information being flung and mud being flung and everything else. And what I found it really difficult personally is as an American citizen, I found the responsibility to vote getting more and more difficult. Anybody else finding that? It's just like, it's hard to find time to vote. On top of that, it's hard to be informed as a voter. Isn't that true? I mean, it used to be one thing, you had some, yeah, you had some propositions, you had some people you had to vote for, but now you're like voting for everything. You know, it's, it's not like there's just your, you're not just voting for your representatives in the state and in the, in the nation. Now you're like RCC board and the water board and the, you know, the fluffy bunny board. And it's just like, you got all these things you got to vote for. And then you got, and it's like, then you got all these propositions. Anybody and everybody's mom has created a proposition about something. You got and all these things, you got to research it. You got to know who these people are what their positions are, what platform they stand on. Are they lying to you? Will they uphold the platform? Will they not uphold the platform? What's this proposition? Is it biblical? Is it unbiblical? What are the results economically? Who do you trust and believe? And on top of all that junk, they throw the judges at you, for goodness sake. You notice that? Anybody sick of the judges? You're just like, you get this long list of judges in the back and you're like, skip. And you just kind of keep going and whatever you need to do. Because have you ever tried to research a judge? Anybody ever actually tried to research one of the judges? Throw your hand up real quick because I need your information because that's like ridiculously difficult. You can't find any information on them. You don't even know they're running. And they expect us to be responsible as citizens to our voting. And this is my point. If we're a part of something, we are responsible, aren't we? Aren't we responsible to vote? Because if you, as they say, if you, if you don't vote, you can't complain. Uh, that's why I vote every year, actually, so I can stand up here and can complain, can complain about stuff. But no, really, honestly, voting as citizens is part of what we do and who we are. But it, is, it grows in responsibility. We become more and more irresponsible. Fewer and fewer of us are voting. More and more of us are finding it difficult to vote, finding time to vote. The responsibility level is hard. But whenever you belong to something, there's a responsibility. You belong to your family. There's a responsibility to take the trash out. My children are discovering this. You know, there's a responsibility to be part of 
of the church community in serving one another and caring for each other. There's a responsibility in being engaged all over the place in whatever we belong to. There's no difference in belonging to God's family. And there's a responsibility that God has particularly given to us that I want to address this morning and that Paul is going to get into. But before we really dive in, I want to point you back to the text. So let's look at this responsibility. It's found in chapter 9 in Romans, and we're going to start in verse 27, and we're going to move forward from there. Romans chapter 9. If you need a Bible, they're available under the seat. You can pull it out, find it on page 940, or 945, and you can roll forward for us. Now, where I want to begin is if some of you maybe at the beginning of your Bibles, you haven't quite got to Romans yet or you don't quite know the history in the background, Paul was an apostle or a missionary of Jesus Christ. And he had gone throughout all the Roman Empire to plant churches and bring news of Jesus' resurrection. As he went about to these locations, he would, he would plant a church and teach and train. And later he would write letters back to them. In this case, the book of Romans is a letter written by Paul to a place he hadn't gone to yet. And he was writing it to them to say, I'm coming through. I want you guys to endorse me. I'm headed on my way to Spain to do some more missionary stuff. This is who I am. This is what I believe. And so he gives us this pow- what is considered one of the most powerful theological books in all of the Bible. It, it really kind of focuses the gospel and shows us what it means. And so as we dive into this, we've come to this kind of logic where he says, look, in the first few chapters, he's saying everybody's a sinner. We've all, we're all under condemnation regardless of where we were born and what kind of ethnic we are. The only way out is through trusting that Jesus Christ has borne our sins as a sacrifice on the cross. And what we need to do is trust that. Now that doesn't mean we get to run off and go sin like crazy. And it doesn't mean we're locked down under all these rules. But what we have now is a relationship. A relationship with God in which God teaches and trains us and uses everything in life to make us like our hero, Jesus Christ. And in fact, what he's going to do is he's not only going to redeem us, he's going to redeem the earth, he's going to redeem all of the children of God, and and everything's going to be set right. And last week we saw him say, well then, can we trust him? Because if God hasn't, what happened with Israel? He gave a bunch of promises to them, but they aren't saved. He says, no, no, God always upholds his promises to the people he's picked out. Not all of Israel is Israel. And then he argues through all the implications of that, and you can check that out on the podcast from last week. But at the end of that, he, it kind of moved to this point where it's like, look, God hasn't narrowed the focus on whom he's picked. He expanded it beyond Israel. And he begins with this thought that, therefore, that God is out to save people everywhere. He's not just going to have a narrow focus. He's going to save people everywhere. And this lays a foundation for our responsibility. And so that's where he starts here. Look up at verse 27. Just kind of back us up and get some context. In verse 27, it says, And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be at the, as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So right there in those few verses, sum it up, Paul just says, Look, God chose a portion of Israel out to be saved. Otherwise, there would have, nobody would have been saved. So not all of Israel is going to be saved, but a group of them will be, a remnant of them will be. So we we at least know that. And Paul's like, I'm one of those. He'll say that later in the book. But then he goes on, what shall we say then to this? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, and Gentiles are people who are not Jewish. So any nation, any people group that was not Jewish is a Gentile. He says, so they, the Gentiles, they weren't looking, they weren't pursuing righteousness. They weren't pursuing a right relationship with God. They found it. But the Jewish people who were pursuing it, notice how he puts it, but the, righteous, but the Jewish people, sorry, I've got to catch myself back up. 
But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did, they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They've stumbled over, stumbled over the stumbling stone, as is written, Behold, I am laying in a, a stone in Zion. And so we'll get into that in a second. Now, what's going on here is he paints two pictures. He says, here's our conclusion. Israel was picked out by God as a nation. And they began to run towards this ideal of a relationship with God. And as they're running, they're going after this law. But what happens is they never can achieve it because they begin to assume that it's the running themselves, just running towards the law, that's worth it. And so they keep going and they keep pursuing, but they never reach it. But it is the Gentiles who are kind of like standing around picking their noses, like, oh, there's a law, there's a God, whatever. They're like, oh, look, righteousness. A right relationship with God is given to them, and they trust God, and they immediately receive it. And the immediate unfairness seems to be there. But the point that Paul is making is, look, God has given this out to all the Gentiles, to all these different kinds of people groups, to all these different kinds of human beings. And the ones who are missing it are the ones who think that they can achieve this by works. This is really interesting to me because what he's really describing here is a life that many of us know. These guys are running along after the law, trying to go for it, trying to be good before God, and suddenly he says they stumble over a stone, this stumbling stone that has been put in Zion. And it's a picture from the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 28 actually. It says this, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Now, what he's talking about here is this guy, his name is Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, a proclaimer of God's wrath and promises to Israel. And he is saying, guys, we're going to get wiped out by the Babylonians. This is far before the Babylonians ever came around. But Isaiah is saying this, and this is one of the things he says, now listen, God's going to reset. He's going to press the reset button on the video game called Israel, and we're going to start over. And the first thing he's going to do is he's going to lay a cornerstone, a new cornerstone, a new foundation for Israel. What's important? Because the cornerstone set the direction for everything else. If you get a bad cornerstone in an ancient building... Nothing makes sense. It's all over the place. So you had to pick out the perfect cornerstone, as perfect as you could, shaped exactly as you needed, and you would lay it in exactly right. And then everything else would be lined up with it using a plumb line. And notice what the plumb line is then. After that, it goes on in the next verses. Whoever believes will not be in haste. So whoever trusts in this cornerstone will not be in haste. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. In other words, you will line up with righteousness. And so here's this stone that Isaiah is basically saying, look, if you line up with this stone, you will align with righteousness. Get on God's new plan. Don't ignore it. But what happens is these guys are running. They want the law. And God goes, nope, I'm done with that. I'm wiping it out. Here's the stone. They go, bloop, oh. And they trip over it. Not realizing it was for them, it actually crushes them. Not realizing it was the righteousness they were looking for, that all they do is line up with it, they ignored it. Now, why do I bring this up? Because God wants to save people. The foundation has been laid. He wants to reach out to anyone who will line up with this cornerstone. And that will be out of all kinds of groups, all kinds of people, not just a particular Israelites or anybody else, but everybody. Name it in this room. All of us in this room, all the sinners on the planet have the opportunity here is how I view this. Now, what's going on though is that we can become people who make excuses, can't we? And I don't want us to make excuses. 
We need to be a people who don't make excuses. In fact, what Paul seems to do is say, don't, don't do these excuses. Excuse number one is, is this, and I've done this myself. We get all geared up at church. We all get pumped up. We need to reach people for Christ. We got a great message. Let's get out there and do it. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And we head out the door and you go visit your neighbors or you sit down to your coworkers and you're like, oh, okay, I'm gonna reach these sinners. Yeah, these sinners that need Jesus, these sinners. And you start looking at their life and you're going like, man, that guy helps poor people. Oh, that guy loves his kids. Wow, that guy's got a decent life. He's making a pretty good living. Wow, he's a really nice guy too. And suddenly you're like, ha, ah, these guys aren't sinners. Maybe I'm supposed to reach somebody else because I don't see this. These are good people. Anybody ever run into that? The reality is you're walking around, you're like, these people are really good people. These people are really good people. I mean, really, really good people. I mean, I got to the point where I was wondering, did God just pick up all the bad people and put them in the church and that's why we're all here together? It's like, that's not meant to be an insult. We're sinners saved by grace. But the point is simply that it's just, let's look around outside and these people are really, really good. I mean, they wear Tom's shoes and they only shop at places that have like right kind of traded coffee and nobody's got sweatshops anywhere on the planet kind of food. You know, that kind of, they're like so conscientious about things that I'm just like, yeah, we're Levi's when the maiden... You know, sweatshop in India, but whatever, you know, kind of stuff. But the people are just so conscientious. They're so careful. They're so caring. They, they've got, they're so tolerant and so nice. And, and what happens is it can be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm supposed to give the gospel to these people? And notice what Paul says. He's saying, look, these guys aren't, these guys, the Jewish guys, they're really good. They're running after the law. They are striving for the law. They're really, 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 really good people. I mean, it's like an entire community of Mother Teresa's running around here, and Paul's saying they're not going to make it. Because we can get distracted by the thought of people being really, 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 really good. That no matter how good we are, you can't good yourself into a right standing with God. In fact, a lot of good, 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 good people go to church because they do it because it's good, not because they need a relationship with God. And gooding ourselves into the kingdom doesn't work. Gooding ourselves into the presence of God can't happen. The goodness God requires is perfection. And nobody's got that. And the gap between perfection and our goodness is what we pay for on the judgment day. And so while I agree, most of the people I meet in this world are way, way, way nicer and and they are so good in comparison to me, it doesn't mean that they don't need a gospel. It doesn't mean that they don't need salvation. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, there's places where God said, your good works are like dirty rags before me. You're going to stand on those. I mean, God's just like, oh, and you're like, oh, look at this good work. And he's like, oh, I got 2,000 of those. What do you want me to do with it? And they're shinier and newer and better. It's not perfect. And so it's hard for us to realize this, but goodness, while I'm not saying don't be good, while I'm not saying, you know, I'm saying be good, don't, don't not be good. There we go. While I'm not saying go out there and be bad, I'm saying it can't be what we stand on when we stand before God. It's not gonna work. And when you encounter it out there, don't let it shock you. Paul encountered it all the time. And Paul knew that when people stand on their goodness, they're gonna look at Jesus, they're gonna look at the gift of God, they're gonna be like, I don't need that. I'm good. And what we have to do is we have to remind them that that's not how you receive it. In fact, he goes on in verse 1, chapter 10, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, meaning the Israelites, is that they may be saved. 
For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so what they're saying is this picture where they're running along and, oh, oh, I want that, I want that right standing with God and these laws and rules. And what happens is Jesus, who is the law, who has fulfilled it, it was the aim, comes down and says, hi, okay, I'm here, receive me. It's what you've been running for, I'm right here. And they go, get out of the way. I want what I, I want to do it myself. I want to make it. And Jesus is going, it's a long way and you don't have much time left. I'm right here. You can have it if you, if you want it. No, no, no. We're going to do it and they'll never make it. They want to run after the goodness. And what we realize is there's always a gap. No one's going to make it all the way. And so Jesus has to fill that gap. We have to be willing to give that gospel. We have to be willing to give it away. The second excuse is found right here in verse 2. He says this, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And I've noticed this as well. You will meet people who are so sincere about their faith. They may be Muslim, and they are just so sincere. And it, and it throws us, doesn't it? It's like, man, these guys really believe this. I mean, they really, really believe it. They can argue for it. They trust this God. I mean, I think God will just honor their zeal. He'll honor their, he'll honor their sincerity, is what used to be said. And people would say, well, they're sincere about their beliefs. God won't condemn that. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you ran into that. But Paul says, look, I can attest to this. I can tell you what. These Jewish guys, they are zealous for God. He's like, I was zealous for God. But just because they're sincere, he says they're sincerely wrong. Notice how he puts it. But not according to knowledge, verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they seek to establish their own righteousness. Now, this is what, again, he's saying they're ignorant of something. Our friends, our family members, our neighbors are ignorant of something. They may be ignorant of, the, of, of God's existence. They may be ignorant of the resurrection and the, and the reality that it occurred. They may be simply ignorant of what a church is really like and how people really are. They may think that churches are just these mean kind of places or whatever, but we want to help them beyond the ignorance. We want to encourage them beyond that. And so that's what Paul is arguing. He's saying, look, they may have a zeal for God, but they're ignorant of God. And so we don't want to give them that excuse. We need to give them over the gospel. We need to hand them the good news because it's good news. And what we do is we may make excuses. We may be like, I don't know why I need to give that to you. You're a good person. I don't know why I need to do this because you're really sincere. But guys, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be. In fact, Paul prayed. His desire was, and prayer was that God might save them from that day of judgment, from that sin. So I want to encourage you guys, as we realize our responsibility, we want to make sure that we realize the foundation. God wants to save people everywhere. He, he's not going to limit this. Two, we shouldn't be making excuses. Let's get out there and let's give away the gospel. Let's give away this responsibility we've been given of the gospel. And let's make sure that we just bring them the simple message. It doesn't need to be complex. It doesn't need to be crazy. In fact, it is very simple and very powerful. And that's all Paul is referring. Notice in verse 5. Come on with me on this one. He says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does, not, who does the commandments shall live by them. So I want you to imagine this whole Old Testament's got tons and tons of laws. And Moses said, Listen, if you live by one of them, you're going to have to live by them all. That's what he's referencing there. You need to live by all of these laws. 
And so they're locked down. This is difficult. If you're going to live it by the law, if you're going to obey every aspect of every Ten Commandment, of every little thing, you're going to apply it in every detail to every part of your life, and that's how you're going to stand before God, you're going to fail. That's difficult. In fact, Paul goes on, he says, don't say, in, uh, but the righteousness is based on faith, says, do not say in your heart who will ascend in heaven. For that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. And as he's quoting here, the book of Deuteronomy, he's arguing, look guys, don't make it more complicated. It was complicated enough from the Mosaic law. It's not our job to run around and go, now you need to ascend into heaven, climb a ladder, get yourself up there, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, be really, 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 really good so God will let you in. That's not the gospel. And it's not, hey, swim to the bottom of the sea. Get all the way down there into the depths of the world where, where in their minds there was uh, the, the souls and everything else lived. Uh, and we need to get down there because we need to find Christ down there because he's in the depths. No. It's not some long journey, some huge amount of work. That's not how we're saved. That's how the world thinks you're saved. The world thinks you're saved by being a good environmentalist, by being a very good at, at very, being kind and, and tolerant and, and getting a good education and making sure that you're, you're living a good, as a good citizen and you're helping everybody out. And, and, and those are all good things. But that's not how you're saved. The Hindu world believes that you, you, should move, you should worship all kinds of animals and move little pebbles down massively long 100-mile roads, one pebble over another, for months on end just to erase karma that you don't even remember having done while you're trying not to build bad karma because you were told you had it by some cast member who was ahead of you or above you in life. Or you're a Muslim who bows down multiple times a day because that's just what you need to do. Otherwise, God's going to get really ticked at you and he's going to just throw you apart and, and destroy you because there's no really knowing God. There's only obeying him. Or whether you're a conservative Jew and you have to figure out all these ways to deal with sin because you don't have a temple and you don't have a sacrifice anymore and you just kind of have to make it up. And the danger is it is all about the work. Work, 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 work. And maybe your paycheck will say heaven. But Paul already addressed all that. The only thing any paycheck given to humanity has on it is the word death. Condemned. Uh, you owe this much. And it's more than we can ever owe. And Paul says, this is not the message. We should never give the hint, the messages. If you do your quiet time and you make sure you're in your Bible and you make sure that you've got your, you've got your prayer time down in your church every single Sunday, 52 Sundays a year, and you've given your full 10% and you've done all, you know, now you're saved. No, that's never the message. Don't ever hear me saying that. That's not the message that I'm proclaiming. Here's the message, that God can't, loved us so much that he became a human being. Why? Because we had sinned against him and that sin created a gap that had to be filled in and the filling in was going to be judgment but God didn't want to judge us so his son Jesus came, bore the sin on himself so that we would trust him and rose him from the dead to give us proof of that and to give us new life so that we could have that relationship fixed and that gap filled so that we could know God and he could lead us as God for the rest of our lives all the way into eternity. And that's pretty simple. Paul puts it this way. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart, 
That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning God, the ruler, the commander of your life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, you could be saved, it's you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, trusts in him, that's like leaning on your chair like you're doing right now. It's a trust, a real thing, not just this leap into a dark chasm, not that kind of belief. This is solid trust and evidence. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek. It's for everybody. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who come call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the answer is call upon the name of Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And ask him to save you, to bear your sins on the cross. To give you life in the resurrection. And trust him and he'll give it to you. Profess him with your mouth. The church used to stand in ancient days and we would confess. Not con- you would, you'd go into a box to confess your sins. You'd stand up as a congregation to confess your faith. And when you confess to faith, we'd say something like a creed. Our Father who art in heaven, you know, we would pray the prayer and then we would have this. We sang one of the old creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. There's a bunch of creeds that exist out there. And what would happen is the church would confess or profess their faith. When we take people into baptism, we ask them questions that they may assent to the profession of their faith. And that's what it's saying. Are you verbal with your faith about Jesus? And have you trusted him in your heart? Because we could get to the place where we've denied him with our mouth or we don't really trust him. There's plenty of people that claim Jesus is Lord but don't actually trust in his work in the resurrection. And there are indeed people out here who, who, yeah, they believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but they aren't actually following him as Lord. They haven't made them as God. The Christian follows Jesus as Lord because they've trusted that he's risen from the dead. And here, let me put it this way, guys. It's a gift that we trust of Jesus' work. So why do we have to go to church? I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think you just want to. Something that happens in you when you finally come to Christ and you really know him, you don't want to miss being together as his bride. You don't want to miss being with those who are his body. You don't want to miss being with the brothers and sisters. It's family gathering time. We like being with family. I don't think you're, you're not going to be saved if you're not reading your Bible. But a person who's really saved goes, why wouldn't I want to know what God wants me to do? Why wouldn't I really want to understand God more? Why wouldn't I really want to get what he's saying? Now, it's, sometimes it's difficult. I get that. That's our, my job as a teacher to help you guys understand it. I understand how that all works. But why, why, why should we even be in prayer? Because last time I checked, when I got married to my wife, I just don't sit around the house and not talk to her. No, when you have a relationship, you converse with each other. You have communication, and that's exactly what's going on in prayer. All of this is relationship. It's not what you must do to stay saved or to be saved. The gift of salvation is just that. It's simple. You don't have to ascend to the heavens. You don't have to descend into the abyss. You trust that Jesus Christ bore your sins on the cross and rose from the dead. And you're willing to profess that, confess that with your mouth to the world around us. And so every time we go out those doors to evangelize guys, you know what we're doing? We're doing just this. We're professing our faith. 
We're saying, this is what I believe. This is where I stand. And it's a simple message. It's a powerful message. But the question simply rises up. Do we do it? Are we doing it? Are we actually professing our faith? Because this is the responsibility God's given to us. Last, last week we talked about God's choice and our choice. And I had a lot of people, uh, we'd have conversations about where, where does human will begin and end? And you know, am I responsible for my own choices and things like that? And the bottom line is, guys, yeah, we're responsible. And the one major responsibility we've been given is called the gospel. And if we're being irresponsible, then why did God give us freedom at all if we're going to be irresponsible with one thing that's clear he's told us go do? We've got a great responsibility. It's called the gospel. We get to give it out. And so I just put it this way. Don't be irresponsible. Go, give it away. Let's go. Let's just, just give it out there. And I love my daughter for this. Somehow she's got this. I don't get where she got it from, but my daughter's this little bold, a little, little girl. She's sitting over in the park a couple of years ago at six, sitting there talking to her, um, to some girls. The girl was just in the park with her and, and suddenly they're like gone. They're like snuck around back behind the playground and they're like, you know, where you deal drugs usually they're not doing that but they're, they're sitting there and they're, and they're talking to her and she's just like, do you believe in Jesus or do you believe in the, the one, I think it was, do you believe in the living God, the one living God, one and true living God and the girl's like, uh, I don't know. She's like, well, you gotta believe in Jesus. Do you know Jesus died for your sins? Uh, okay, and it's like, I mean, she's just not like taking it back. She's just like, and did you know, you got to believe this, and you got to believe it, and bam, bam, just kept going, and she's like, she come out, she's like, yeah, I told them all about Jesus, and she had to pray the prayer and everything. I'm like, I'm really going to have to deal with these parents one day, aren't I? So, so now she's in this pool swimming, uh, swimming classes, and she's got this little girl who she's gotten to meet, and she's Hindu, uh, and, and my daughter's like, oh, do you believe in the li- one living God? And she's like, no, I believe in lots of gods. And my daughter's like, you can't do that that's idolatry that was her words now all of us are like to her she's like that's just the truth that's idolatry and the little girl's like what she's like no there's only one god you believe there's only one god right oh no i don't know there's lots of gods no our god the the god of the bible my the living god he's done miracles have your gods done miracles i don't know our god rose from rose from the dead is your god risen from the dead jesus rose from uh, no well do you believe in him now i guess so well good i mean that's really my daughter's way of doing this and, I, and of course, me and Teresa are always looking at each other going, we're going to have some really irate parents come up to us one day and say, what are you going to do? And we're just saying, deal with my daughter. She'll try to evangelize you too. So, but for us, I'm not going to stop that. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not, I've been trying to hone her by asking her, so how do you think that worked? How do you think it would be better to, to, to care for them at the same time? I'm just trying to guide her. I'm not ever, I don't want to take away her zeal. Because she gets something. She gets something I think we forget as adults. Notice what Paul says. He's in verse 14. He says, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? That they haven't trusted. And how are they to trust in him, believe in him, of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Or pushing it on you like my daughter. How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know what it is? Preaching isn't my job. It's our job. Proclamation is our job. Witness is our job. It's not the pastor's job. It's everybody in the room's job. We want to change everyday people into a community of passionate Christ followers. And we say a passionate Christ follower is somebody who knows what God's called them to do, and they do it. 
Well, God has called every Christian to evangelize, period. I'm not gifted. If he's given you the spirit, you got enough. I'm a really bad person. So am I. Guys, there's no excuses. They're good people. No, 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 no. God's given us this responsibility. And he says, how are they even going to know if we don't go? And you know what I'm worried about is I don't know if we really care as a church. Can I be honest? Give you a little pastor smackdown for a second. We've sent out an interview asking people in the congregation, hey, how interested are you in evangelizing? And it was all these questions. And we pinned down to basically people saying, hey, I'm just uncomfortable. I'd like to get more comfortable. love to learn how. Uh, how about a class? So, we put, so our outreach directors put together a class. It's a, it's, yes, it is challenging. Yes, you have to write some papers in it. And you know how many people signed up and going for it out of 700 plus people in the church? Four. Maybe we're just all really good at it. But I have a feeling we care more about the score of a football game or who's making it to the World Series than who's making it into heaven. I have a feeling we care a lot more about what the celebrities are wearing and who's getting married to who and who's got a belly pooch and, or a baby pooch and all that stuff out there then we care about whether or not the heart of a person made in the image of God is going to face a judgment without the opportunity to hear that Jesus was willing to take it for them. I'm not saying everybody's going to believe. You can read the rest of it. It is said right here that, they w- that Israel wouldn't all believe. Paul knew it. He quotes it. He understood the prophecies. That's what the last part of this is. But he still said, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they may be saved. And he still preached. But they won't believe. That's our excuse, guys. It was never Paul's. 100 plus thousand people in this area, if there was a nuclear holocaust, according to what we believe, would go to hell. Do we really believe it? Or have we baptized every other sincere belief system because we're scared that somehow the gospel is like showing a nasty wound and going, check out my nasty wound. Oh, I'm sorry I showed you that. That was offensive. No, guys. We've got to get the gospel out there. We've got to share this good news that is a gift. All these people are slaving away, working their tails off to try to feel good and be good, and they're not forgiven, and all they're going to do is find out they didn't get over the line. They failed. And what we need to be as a people is a people who are genuinely like my daughter. You know why she does what she does? Because she believes it. She actually believes it. She actually believes there's only one God. The rest are idols. You can only have Jesus. That's it. And so she doesn't care if you're Hindu, Muslim, the little girl across the street or what. She's just like, listen, this is how it is. Now, as I'm kicking you, I'm kicking me because my daughter's like a little parable to me every single day. Do we care? 
Because I hope that we do. Because we're here as a church to change everyday people into a community of passionate Christ followers. We're not here to just come to church. This is a movement in which we are supposed to be reaching people with the gospel that Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the Lord of all, the one who was dead, died for our sins and rose from the dead, said, here, go give this away. It's free to everybody. Tell them to stop working. The harvest is in. Their righteousness is paid for. It's mine. I'm giving it away for free. Just share it. And we go like, why would we want want to do that. So I want to challenge us. Who'd you forget? Who dropped off your sheet? Who'd you write up on a board years ago and you prayed for for a while but they didn't believe? Pick it back up. Bring it to them again. Love them. Care for them. How many neighbors' names do we not know? How many coworkers have we just kind of written off? Because we just didn't realize that God's going to Pick up people from everywhere. And it's not how good or bad we are. It's really seriously if we're just willing to receive the gift that God is giving away so we can have a relationship with him. I'm challenged by this. I hope you're challenged by this. Because there are people in nations, there are people in our town that need this message. And I'll tell you what, if you're not up for that, if you don't want to get out there and go give the gospel away, there's some great churches in town. Go hang out at those. And guess what? Eventually their pastors will get there too. But this is what we've been called to do as a church. And this is what we do do as a church. We believe this. We need to live this. Amen? You bow your heads with me. God, right now I just um, I love it when I walk away as convicted as everybody else. Thank you. And where I'm at as as the leaders of this church, I just, I, I turn to you and I ask you to aid us, please, in bringing this message to people and giving us boldness and caring about hearts and souls made in the image of you more than our, our own comforts because I know that comfort and courage go opposite directions. And I just lay these things at your feet. And I'm going to change from talking to God for a second. I want to talk to those of you in this room who may not have that relationship with God right now. And I want to challenge you with, I don't want to challenge you. I want to give you something. I want to give you this gift that I've been talking about. That there is a gap between being perfect and where you're at. And I think we can all admit that. But that gap has to be paid for. And the only way to pay for that is by somebody else paying for it. Because you can't fill it in with good that we should have already done. God knew that, and so he sent his son Jesus to bear our punishment, what is owed, what the, the payment to fill in that gap. And he says, here, I know you can't do it, and I want to show you that I love you, and I want to show you that I'm just, so this is for you. And you let and you trust that Jesus Christ will bear your sins on the cross and that he will pay for what you owe God. 
And that in his resurrection, you too will have new life and a new relationship with God. And that's a gift. You don't work for it. You don't go clean up and get, you know, you feel like you got to go remove tattoos and stop doing the drinking. And No, no, no. God will, God will deal with everything in our souls. Everything in our souls. But he has to be in your life first. And the way that relationship begins is by trusting Jesus Christ has borne your sins on the cross and asking him to forgive you and enter into that life. It's not a matter of, oh, that you're, you've got no tattoos and hey, you come to church every week and, and you're a good person because you give money all the time. You know, God's gonna take all that and he's just gonna go, you know, let's put that aside for a second because in my sight, that's not worth very much. In fact, by you trying to use that to pay me off is insulting to me. And you need my son, Jesus Christ. And whatever side you're on, whether the good or the bad, the righteous or the unrighteous, Jewish or Gentile, he's offered you Jesus Christ to pay for your sins. And you're ready to receive that this morning. If God is saying, come, come, take my gift and give you a chance to do that. The way you would do that is just to indicate to me, hey, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'd love to receive that forgiveness. Just put your hand up. I want to walk you through an opportunity to pray and talk to God about it. If that's where you're at, I know it's tough, but just right where you're at, just say, yes, that's me. I'm ready to have that relationship with God. that's where you're at right now, just take a minute here and as start talking to God, you begin with just telling him the things that you've done, the sins that you've committed. He already knows them. He'll probably prompt them in your mind. But just begin to lay out those things that separate you from him. Now take those sins. And what we're going to do is we're going to turn away from them. It's called repentance. And you're going to turn to God. And you're going to say, and you're going to say, tell God that you're placing those sins on Jesus. And that you trust that he took them on the cross. And you're going to trust that he died to pay for your sins. And that you're now forgiven. And tell him that you trust that he rose from the dead to give you that new life. And now ask him to come into your life, to lead you, and to be your Lord. And Father, there's, for those who have prayed this prayer, I ask that you would bless them with your presence. Just connect with them and show them the power of your word and, and reveal to them exactly what they have done and, and just the truth in that matter. Just bless them greatly. God, for all of us who know that this message is ours to give out, would you just enable us with your power by the Holy Spirit to go out and to bring them that good news to all those in our neighborhoods, in our families, and in our workplaces. We trust you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.